0: Ezekiel 36, verse 16. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, when the house of Israel lived in their own land, they defiled it by their ways and their deeds. Their ways before me were like the uncleanness of a woman in her menstrual impurity, So I poured out my wrath upon them for the blood that they had shed in the land, for the idols with which they had defiled it. I scattered them among the nations, and they were dispersed to the countries. In accordance with their ways and their deeds, I judged them. But when they came to the nations, wherever they came, they profaned my holy name. In that people said of them, these are the people of the Lord, and yet they had to go out of this land, of his land, but I had concern for my holy name, which the Lord, which the house of Israel had profaned among the nations to which they came. Therefore, say to the house of Israel, "Thus says the Lord God: It is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came." I will sprinkle clean water on you and and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses and from all your idols. I will cleanse you and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit and I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers, and you shall be my people, and I will be your God. And I will deliver you from all your uncleanliness, and I will summon the grain, and I will make it abundant and lay no famine upon you. And I will make the fruit of the tree and the increase of the field abundant, that you may never again suffer the disgrace of famine among the nations. Then you will remember your evil ways and your deeds that were not good, and you will loathe yourselves for your iniquities and your abominations. It is not for your sake that I will act, declares the Lord God, Let that be known to you. Be ashamed and confounded for your ways, O house of Israel. Heavenly Father, bless to our understanding the reading and the exposition of your infallible, inerrant word. And we do pray in Jesus' name. Amen. It's hard to think of two more appropriate text to begin the new year than this one, and the the one that follows in chapter uh, 37 of Ezekiel. I would like to say that's due to careful planning on my part, (laughs) but it's not. Some, but um, Providence has landed us here for the most part. The month of uh, January is named after the, I forget whether it's the Roman god or the Greek god, Janus. But you've probably seen pictures in in literature of Janus. It has two faces. It's a two-faced god. One one faces backwards and one faces uh, forward. And uh, again... An observation of an idol that, uh, that makes uh, a common sense ob- observation every beginning of the new year. We do that, don't we? We look back and at the same time we look forward. And that's what the text tells us that Ezekiel prophesies to Israel. Look to the circumstances that brought you to where you are. The whole of Ezekiel has been a constant uh, uh, litany of judgment, judgment, judgment for Judah, and not only for Judah, but for the surrounding nations who justly deserve the judgment and wrath of God For their rebellion against him. And the reason for God's judgment, the reason for his chastening of his people, is that we have this constant litany. Ezekiel's favorite pet phrase, if you've not noticed, is that they will know that I am the Lord, that they will know my glory. God puts this in the mouth of the prophet. Why does God do what he does? He does it to glorify himself. I said many times in this series of the about the the uh, promises to the physical promises of the land uh, to the people of uh, of Israel uh, that uh, are um, are still in effect, I believe. Uh, That is certainly here, but the primary way I believe that God calls us to apply this is to ourselves, to our situation where we live. There is certainly a spiritual application to the people of Israel who have yet to repent of their sin and and, uh, accept Jesus as Messiah. But more than that, for us today, is the need for us to hear this word and to apply it personally to our lives, to our church, to our situation. And so, these principles that are true then, that were fulfilled prophetically then, and that will be fulfilled prophetically in the future they have a present application for us. And that's what I want us to focus on in the text this morning. The first point I want to make in verses 16 through 21 is that God will vindicate his name. God will not tolerate his name to be blasphemed. He says this about Judah the people of God. But he also means all those who would profess faith. Matthew Henry says about this verse this, and it's a wonder, I just will quote it because it's so wonderful and so often he is. God promised the captives a a glorious return in due time to their own land. And it was a great discouragement to their hopes that they were unworthy and utterly undeserving of such a favor. So those two things are true at the same time. We are grateful and hopeful and and glad about the deliverance that we have from God. And at the same time, uh, we're disappointed in what brought us to that place. And those things will always be held in tension in us in the Christian life. And this is such glorious good news for us. Judah's salvation doesn't depend upon their performance. Note, note here carefully. Uh, that that it is it is solely and completely for the glory of God the glory of his name that he does this and the same is true for your salvation spiritually every individual must come to that place i've counseled people for many years and And sometimes people are so overwhelmed with uh, uh, sin and shame and guilt, uh, they despair. and, And their condition becomes hopeless. The only reason it's hopeless is because they fail to comprehend how glorious the good news that Jesus loves sinners truly is. Not for your sake even, but for his sake, he has set his sovereign love upon you. And having begun to do that, he will never stop doing that. If he has put his hand upon you, and if he's called you to himself, he will continue to do that until you take your last exhale on earth. He glorifies himself by satisfying his justice. And he did it in a very tangible and real way in the life of Israel by judging them finally by the Babylonians and judging uh, uh, Israel's enemies, the surrounding nations as well. And why does he do it? He does it for his own glory. There are two truths that we constantly hold in tension in the Christian life. We hold, on the one hand, the perfect justice of God, that He uh, is so holy that He cannot even look upon sin, and that He He will finally judge and and. Uh, Punish the evil of the world. And on the other hand, you see the grace and the mercy of God. You see it here in the text in the Old Testament, but you cannot fully comprehend this until you look at the end, which is the cross of Jesus, in which those two things perfectly meet together and satisfy. The honor of God's name. They are both true. The justice of God is true. And at the same time, the grace and the mercy of God is true. The reason they are true is, is, is incomprehensible to us, but it is the mind of God. And he has given us everything we need to know about it in his word. And that is what he is telling Judah through the prophet Ezekiel. And he's telling you through the prophet as well. And why did he do it that way? Why didn't he choose some other way? And the answer, the only answer we have is that of all the infinite possible ways that a a sovereign, holy, perfect God could glorify and exalt himself, he chose the one way that would most honor and exalt and glorify himself because he is God and there is no other God but him. There's an accusation of injustice. It's not fair. I, the Christmas season always brings these, these, these uh, incredible sentimental things to our hearts and minds. And we have such, such expectations that are never met. I don't know if you've ever <laughs> noticed that. And it's, but it's in our culture. It's just so, it's so cheesy and and ingrained in the culture. And I watched this, this, uh, this Christmas story about this quaint Appalachian family. And, and uh, it was quite a good story, but then I was tracking with it until the main character uh, went out angry at God because he had taken away her little brother and, and he says, I'm, and, she, and she prayed, this character prayed, God, I'm going to forgive you. I thought, whoa. We are under the judgment of God because we profane his name by our sin and our rebellion. Our only way out of that sin and rebellion is by his gracious provision for us in the gospel. That he forgives us, that he restores us. And if the, ev- and the evidence of the gospel at work in our hearts is that we extend that same grace and forgiveness to those who have wronged us. <coughs> The result of understanding that left the people of Judah in shame. Note note that. They were in shame. They were in disgrace. Because they had, had, because of what they had done. But here's the gracious promise that God chooses not to, in order to glorify himself and to make his name great, he chooses not to leave his people in that condition. He promises to cleanse his people. There's a wicked notion among relig- the religions of the world that we get all cleaned up and cleansed so we can go and regroup and send some more. I mean, if you go to the, to the mosques or you go to uh, temples of the world, they always usually have some kind of fountain where you're supposed to ceremonially wash in order to be cleansed to go in. As if that could do something um the notion exists in in uh, uh romanism we we're coming after after the holidays the next big event is um i I grew up at the birth in mobile alabama the birthplace of mardi gras you know some places call it the carnival and uh, it's this indulgent of the flesh and so so you, until you get to the the time of lent and where you you atone for all your wickedness and it turns in to many places to this wicked uh, orgy of all kinds of, of excess. Not always, but, but I've seen quite a bit of this. And then the idea is after you've done all this orgy of excess, you go and you atone for it somehow. And that, that, is, that basically sums up the religions of the world you get cleaned up so you can go out and do more later. God promises to cleanse his people, not for their sake, but for his sake, that he might demonstrate his power through lives that have been changed, that have been cleansed. God will spiritually cleanse his people. The symbol of that in the church is baptism. We have that symbol. As we confessed earlier in our confession of faith, it's one of two outward signs that God gives us. He gives us baptism and he gives us the Lord's Supper. He doesn't we don't have to have these hundreds of rituals behind Behind, behind all this is the, Numbers 19 and the ritual cleansing of, of the, uh, of, uh, the principle that the, the ritual cleansing that had to take place um, for women in in, uh, in Israel. God God says this is this, this brings shame and, and is a symbol of shame upon the land that um, this this has fallen on the land. And the way that was dealt with was this, these um, ritual baths. If you go to, to, if you're familiar with the Jewish synagogue or familiar with the the ruins of Jewish synagogues, they always have a mikvah. They have a place of ritual cleansing where this takes place. And if you read the Book of Numbers 19, to be specific, you see you see this. the message to Ezekiel to us is that spiritual cleansing it is spiritual cleansing that is symbolized in both of those can only be accomplished by the Holy Spirit by the application of forgiveness through the grace of God the the, The big problem of the human condition is shame and guilt. And the stain of shame and guilt. And the only way it can be removed, that all the soap and water and all the ritual cleansings of religion, none of that can remove shame and guilt. That's why Jesus told Nicodemus, you must be born from above. You must be born of water and the spirit. And I believe is referring back to this. You must be cleansed and purified. It's a symbol. Baptism is a symbol of our washing and our cleansing from the guilt of sin and the shame of sin. We believe it's a one-time event in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and when we have received faith in Christ alone for our salvation, uh, it's an it's not repeated. But we need the sacrament. We need to be reminded of our of our cleansing. So, I Martin Luther, uh, one of my favorite characters spiritually in all of history, when he was when he was. <clears throat> Faced with his accusations of his many sins, he he would cry out, I've been baptized. He didn't mean I was saved by being baptized. He meant I've been cleansed. God has taken away and cleansed my guilt. And that's the promise here. God will cleanse us. And then he promises to give his people a new spirit. Not only does he cleanse us, from our, our our the shame and the guilt of sin, he gives us a new spirit, resulting from a new heart. The word "spirit" is the same word for breath. The, it describes it's It almost sounds like heart surgery. There's a number of people facing heart surgery this, in the coming weeks, and. If the heart is totally calcified, sometimes they can do bypasses. They can do different things to stimulate it. In the worst case, they can take it out and put a new one in there or borrow one in, uh, one in there, and it can give life. It is a perfect illustration of what spiritually takes place in the life of a believer. Unless you have a new heart, unless you have submitted to spiritual heart surgery by the hand of the great physician, you will die, not merely physically, but eternally. The Pharisees didn't understand that. Jesus came and his audience was were the tax collectors, the outcasts. And they were quite upset that he would hang out with them. And his words were very pointed. Sick people, I mean, well people do not need a doctor. The sick need a doctor. And he hung out with with the outcasts not to be like them, as some are wont to do today. He hung out with them to tell them the truth about the cleansing, renewing grace of God. The evidence of a new heart. And the evidence that the heart is functioning, a new heart is functioning, is spiritual fruit, is life. It's the fruit of the Spirit. Love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness. Long-suffering and self-control. This is this is the evidence of a new heart. The result of of God doing this work, the spiritual heart surgery is that he will make his people fruitful and humble. And again here are promises in the land I think that uh, that are that are still to come some of them some of them were fulfilled immediately in the days of Ezra and Nehemiah, but as we read that history of Israel through Uh, the coming of the Romans. uh, We know that there's something yet to be fulfilled and the Bible is clear about that. The apostle Paul in Romans 11, as we read last Sunday night is clear about that. They're built on on the precious infallible promises of God. But we must never lose sight of how God is doing this. He's not going to do it according to the plans of men. He's going to do it according to his plan and in his time. And his method is the gospel. And the gospel to the Jew first, and then to the nations. And this is what will result in the transformation of the world. Note again how God makes His people fruitful in the land. How God makes His people fruitful here. How He makes you fruitful. How He gives you the ability to bear spiritual fruit. Note that one of the evidences of that fruit is shame. And remembering. In the land, when you're restored, wherever God's people are restored, note carefully, you will remember your evil ways and your deeds, which were not good. And as a result, you will loathe yourself for your iniquities and your abominations. And again, it's not for your sake that I'm going to do this. It's for the Lord's sake. One of the ways that fruit is shown is by acknowledging the guilt, the very real guilt, the very real shame of sin and the very real humiliation that comes from it. Our only hope The only hope for Israel, for Judah, was for them to embrace the promise that comes from repentance and faith, looking forward to the Messiah, as we confessed earlier in our confession. Our only hope is looking back to that finished work. The only hope for the world is pointing to Jesus, who is the author and the finisher of faith. It is, it is, what we cling to, it's what we hope for. That's why we gather to glorify and magnify his name. In the new year, we need new repentance. We need we need renewed faith. And we need it every day. Again, we sometimes call our worship service covenant renewal. This I this desire to get a fresh start and Get on the right path and make resolutions. Those are healthy things. And I hope you're making some wonderful resolutions for the new year. But just as we had this wonderful message on Christmas uh, Sunday school from Jeff Tuning in which he made it clear that, uh, you know, we're probably going to be disappointed (laughs) because of our failures uh, to measure up to uh, what our expectations are. But that's okay. God has something better for us. And he has it not just in holiday season, not just at the beginning of the year. If you're like me, your resolutions is going to fade pretty quickly. But God has given us a calendar that has seven days in it. And, and we, are, we are given that day every week, that holiday every week to come and be renewed. I encourage you to make that at the top of your resolutions that I'm not going to miss the worship of God. I'm not going to miss the opportunity to feed on Christ anew by faith and feed on, on, uh, on, on the supper of the Lamb, uh, the celebration of renewing faith. And if you're, if you're here today and you've never understood how deep your sin is, how deep your guilt is, I encourage you not to wait another minute To bow before a sovereign God and ask him to forgive you. And he will. Not for your sake, but for his sake. To receive the forgiveness of sins that comes through Christ alone. And have a new life. Father, thank you for the opportunity to worship you. To open your word, to read it, to apply it. We pray for the Holy Spirit to attend its reading and its work in our lives and to cover up the defects in the reading and in in the exposition of it and, and the great, grand, glorious truth of the gospel to be shown forth uh, in this word and in the sacrament. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. We respond to uh, the gospel of grace by giving... Ourselves and our gifts to the Lord with our morning offering.